my son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. If you travel for work, you know to pack two suits, business and swim. You know with your Delta SkyMiles Business Amex card, buying that plane ticket for a business trip can get you closer to medallion status. You know that a meeting in Montana means visiting almost every national park. Yellowstone? Check. Because you're the chief excursion officer. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know business. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Kuh. On today's show, we'll cover the latest news around baseball, talk about the player performances from the past week, say farewell to Lance Lynn, and as always, give you some streamer recommendations. But before we do that, John, how are you doing? I haven't talked to you in a little bit. How was the solo podcast? How did that all go? Solo pod is is uh, challenging, man. I kind of forgot how how difficult it was. Um, it's been about maybe half a year since I did my last one, so... Uh, yeah, it was a little bit of a doozy, but glad you're back. Uh, hope Florida was fun. Yeah, it was a great time. I went to Disney World for the first time ever in my life. For reference for all of the viewers out there, I'm 30 years old turning 31 this year, and I've never been to Disney World or land, so little lack of childhood there, but very glad I was able to make it to Disney World. We had a pact, me and my best friend, who's like my brother, that if we didn't go by the age of 30, we would go together for our 30th birthday, and we couldn't quite plan it last year on our 30th birthdays, but we got it this year, so very happy to get that in. The weather in Florida was beautiful. It's so nice to be back but also not nice to be back 
<laughs> because it was lovely there. It was a great time. I had a great time with my wife, my best friend and his wife, and we had some good memories there. So yeah, lots of fun. I was so sorry for leaving you there on your own. That's <laughs> nah, all good. Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of funny how I ended up being busy with real life as well. So uh, I kind of forgot about fantasy baseball for a good week and a half. So this was at least good practice for me. And I hope for all of you guys who are listening to this pod to just get uh, reminded about, yeah, what is exactly going on in fantasy baseball? Yeah, all we could do is chime all of you guys in on what's been going on. And it's always good for us because while we do this podcast, we also learn because we do deep dives on all of these guys. And sure, we pull from a lot of the pitcher list articles out there and read the reviews. But I also watch loads of baseball. I literally watch baseball every day, every game that I can. I do a lot of deep dives. So it's really good and refreshes us to be good fantasy players as well as give good advice. So hopefully it helps. And John, great job last week because solo pods are definitely not fun. (laughs) But before we get into this episode, I'd like to remind all of you that you can follow our podcast on Twitter at ThisWeekPL. We're almost at 100 followers. We're at like 80, 81. So please go and follow us. We would appreciate it. And also, you can send us your fantasy baseball questions to our email at thisweekplpod at gmail.com. Lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcasts on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, we're on all of them. So make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review if you enjoy listening to us. But let's get right into the MLB news since our last podcast. First off, we've got Max Fried of the Braves. He was placed on the 15-day IL on Tuesday, retroactive to May 6th, with a left forearm strain. According to Mark Bowman of MLB.com, Fried is expected to miss at least two months. Obviously not good news, but the bright side is that he should be able to return at some point this year and isn't required to undergo a season-ending surgery at this time. This injury kind of reminds me of Jacob deGrom a few years ago, so... I'm kind of giving up hope on the free train, but if he can come back this season and give you anything, it's definitely worth holding him on your IL. So bad news for Freed and also just bad news for the Braves because also Kyle Wright of the Braves was placed on the 15-day IL due to shoulder inflammation and Wright told reporters on Wednesday that like Freed, he too expects to miss at least two months. Wright hasn't been great this season, having not eclipsed six innings once in five starts, but that's obviously due to some lingering issues from his previous injury. But this is just a brutal blow for Braves fans and fantasy managers alike that roster Freed or Wright. So hopefully the Braves can get that rotation looking okay. I know Jared Schuster's probably being plugged in there, and they have some other options like Dylan Dodd, but that rotation is definitely taking a hit. I mean, what's going on with the NL East with the rotation just burning. I mean, besides the Marlins, which we'll talk about in a little bit, the Mets and the Braves both just losing starters left and right. John, it's pretty ridiculous, actually. Yeah, it's also kind of unfortunate for Atlanta because they already called up Bryce Elder, who was supposed to be more of a stopgap guy. And then now, you know, he's kind of a fixture in their rotation. He's been decent, which is good. Um, but yeah, Dylan Dodd's been, is probably going to get called up. Jared Schuster's going to get called up. Um, I really don't know who's left uh, <laughs> in, uh, I guess, Michael Soroka, but I know he's dealing with some injury stuff as well. But yeah, the NL East bug, man, it's been it's been brutal. I mean, obviously, your Mets, uh, they have not gone scot-free uh, this this season with injuries. Um, Phillies, you know, have the injury bug on the on the batter side and 
Yeah, man. Maybe maybe the NL East is just a little cursed because of how good of the run the Phillies had last year. Yeah, and quite the opposite. The AL East, every team is over 500, I think, and the division is thriving while the NL East is just crumbling. So really bad news for the Braves there, and we'll get into my Mets in just a little bit with one of these injuries. And moving on to another NL East team, Jose Alvarado of the Phillies was placed on the 15-day IL on Wednesday, retroactive to May 8th with left elbow inflammation. It kind of came out of nowhere. He was apparently unavailable on Tuesday due to a wrist issue that wasn't serious, quote-unquote. And then the next day, he's on the IL with left elbow inflammation. He had an MRI, and it was clean for any structural damage. So that's good news, but he'll be shut down from throwing for at least a few days for now. He was probably one of the most dominant pitchers that came out of the reliever role, I guess, fight, you could say, for any of the teams out there where he just dominated. He really earned that closer role, and he was getting a few holds every now and then, but he was looking like the main closer option for the Phillies. Now I'd have to say it probably goes to Craig Kimbrell, but it could also go to Gregory Soto or someone else because they have a very deep bullpen there, Sir Anthony Dominguez. There's a lot of options, but if Alvarado only misses about 15 days, he should surely come back and be the closer. But for now, I would say the ad is probably Craig Kimbrell, but I don't even know if I would want him. Next, we have Luis Severino of the Yankees, who allowed one run in three and a third innings on Wednesday in his rehab start at AAA. He struck out three batters on 49 pitches, and his velocity was a bit down, but obviously we expected that after coming back from a lat injury. Severino could return to the Yankees rotation by early next week, I heard that he might have another rehab start on Tuesday and then possibly join the Yankees, but I'm not quite sure yet on that. Tyler Glasnow of the Rays was removed from Wednesday's minor league rehab start at AAA after just one inning due to mild left side soreness. He's been out with an oblique strain, so it's definitely not good that he was removed after throwing only 11 pitches when he was scheduled to throw 60. Rays TV reporter Ryan Bass tweeted out that manager Kevin Cash said there is no new injury for Glasnow and that they are confident that he'll make his next scheduled rehab start. They said he's in a good spot and everything looked clean. So I don't know. This kind of seems like they're hiding something. I don't like the fact that they said there is no new injury for Glasnow. That kind of makes me feel that like he re-aggravated that oblique. Is that something of suspect for you, John? Does that raise any red flags? Uh, I don't know if this ever got confirmed, but I remember reading some tweets that, like, when he got removed, he was kind of yelling in the dugout or, or something like that. Um, okay. Like, when he basically when he got back to the dugout. And I don't know if it was like, oh, he re-aggravated it, or was he just annoyed that he couldn't, you know, pitch like he, he was expecting he could for right. a rehab start. Um, the Maybe the annoying thing here is um, with, rehabs, with rehab in, in the major leagues, you get 20 days right after after you go on your rehab assignment and the team has to then activate you after those 20 days and their only option once they activate you is oh we're gonna have to put you back on the 15th day il now um if they don't think you're ready to go so that could be a weird thing here with with the rays of deciding you know once that 20 days is up and uh glasnow still isn't looking good like they might have to put him back on the il so hopefully that's not the case here for glasnow obviously he's one of the filthiest pitchers. He just can't stay healthy right now. And hopefully the Rays know what they're doing. But yeah, this is definitely a very auspicious start to him coming back. For sure. And that's kind of why I avoided Tyler Glasnow this season in a whole. Because I just, 
didn't see a path to him getting a lot of innings and his draft stock wasn't too high. It wasn't like you were taking a real big risk in drafting him. Mm -hmm. He was kind of going later, but I didn't want any part of this because I could just foresee this almost. You know, you never want to see someone get injured or anything to go on like this at all ever. You don't wish for this on anyone, but it almost just seemed too obvious that he was going to struggle with getting back on the mound this season. So I just wanted no part of him, but Hopefully he feels okay, like they say, and he'll be back soon because I know fantasy managers would love that. Wander Franco of the Rays left Thursday's game against the Yankees in the fifth inning with what seemed to be some sort of neck strain. I heard rumors of it just being neck spasms. I think that came out on the broadcast, but as of the time of recording this, that's all we really know at this point. So keep an eye out on Wander's status this weekend because he might sit a few games or he might play or he might go in the IL. We're not too sure quite yet. As mentioned by John last week in the solo pod, Tyler Male of the Twins was moved on the 60-day IL with that right arm posterior impingement and flexor pronator strain. And then this week, it came out with the sad news that he will require season-ending Tommy John surgery. Really unfortunate news for Male, who really just can't seem to catch a break. This guy we've wanted to see break out for so long, and his stuff was looking good, and he was looking good this season, and then this happened. So, John, any... Quick notes on Tyler Malley. It just sucks, really. Yeah. Um, I mean, as a Twins fan, it's hard for me to not remove the fact that we traded, like, two pretty decent prospects. One of them, Spencer Steer, who's been kind of raking for since. Yeah, really year. good. Um, for Tyler Malley, and we basically got, like, a couple starts out of him last year. Then he got to get shut down because he was feeling some weirdness in his shoulder that the Twins could never figure out because nothing was popping up on the MRI. And then this season, you know, he had like a couple decent starts, but then had this injury come up. Now he needs Tommy John. He's a free agent at the end of this season, too. So yeah, as a Twins fan, I have like very mixed feelings about this because I was excited about that trade. Um, I was actually at the first game that Molly pitched at Target Field and he gave up four homers to the to the Toronto Blue Jays. So oh, I was like, man. oh, maybe, maybe it's not Great American Small Park. That's the reason why he's giving up so many homers. But yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Molly, Molly, I, like you said, we've been waiting for the breakout for a long time. And it always feels like it always felt like he was getting held back from being on the Reds. He finally gets out of that situation into a more pitcher friendly park. And then this injury happens. Um, so, yeah, I mean, hopefully he get he gets back healthy. Um, it'll be interesting to see what team is willing to take a flyer on him if he resigns for the Twins. Um, who, you know, in the past, they resigned Chris Paddock, who underwent. Um, Tommy John last year, they kind of right. signed like a bridge deal where it's like, hey, you know, like we know you're not going to be playing for the first year of this contract, so we'll pay you as such, but you'll have like a guarantee that you'll be with the team for, you know, three years. I'd be interested to see if Molly kind of opts for a similar type of discount there or if some other team is willing to take the risk on a guy who's coming off Tommy John. Um, yeah, we'll see how that all works out, but ultimately just hope he, he gets healthy and is, is back to 100%. Yeah, that's a great point with the Twins and Chris Paddock and whatnot. So good comp there. I really like the insight on that. I think Male is probably going to end up on a team like the Dodgers or Mets that are going to need like a depth piece and take a chance, kind of like what they did with Noah Syndergaard for the Dodgers, something like that. Mm -hmm. But I could easily see him going back to the Twins, and I'm sure you'd be happy about that, hopefully, if he can come back healthy and pitch as well as we think he can. Next, we have Mason Miller of the Athletics, who underwent an MRI on Tuesday after feeling some discomfort in his throwing elbow, and it came back clean, according to Athletics manager Mark Kotze. The Athletics will take things carefully with their young hurler, though, as he was placed on the 15-day IL on Thursday, which is retroactive to May 8th. 
George Springer of the Blue Jays didn't start on Tuesday and Wednesday due to a lingering illness. He should be back in the lineup this weekend. Rangers manager Bruce Bochy said Wednesday that Corey Seager is expected to return from the 10-day IL early during the upcoming homestand, which begins on Monday, barring any setbacks during his minor league rehab assignment. So hopefully we'll get Corey Seager back early next week. Jose Altuve of the Astros took eight at-bats on Tuesday in a simulated game. He looks to be on track to start a minor league rehab assignment at AAA this week. Altuve could return sometime next week, so very excited about that. I have a few shares of Altuve that I grabbed late in drafts, and I mean, what are with these miracles we're seeing with Harper last week? I missed the Harper introduction last week, and then Altuve too, just being ahead of schedule. So a lot of modern-day miracles we're seeing on the injured list. (laughs) Yeah, let's just hope that um, they stay healthy because, I mean, we also saw, well, we'll talk about him a little bit, but Max Scherzer came back and then almost immediately was like, oh, there's another issue here. Yeah, no, definitely. And I hope for Harper and Altuve's sake that they're both healthy and nothing's really lost because with how fast Harper got back, you have Mm -hmm. to wonder if there's something that's just not right still, but he's just playing through it. He looks pretty good to start, and I'm hoping same with Altuve where hopefully that power doesn't get sapped because that's what you really have to worry about with that thumb on the dominant hand for him. So hopefully they're both healthy and good because, like you said, Max Scherzer has been a problem. We'll move on to him next. Max Scherzer of the Mets was scratched from his start on Tuesday due to neck spasms. He was unable to play catch on Wednesday due to the issue and has been ruled out from starting on Friday against the Nationals. He was originally supposed to start on Friday after being pushed back. They said it was going to be no big deal, but then he had an issue with playing catch, and now he's not starting, so hopefully this isn't a major concern for Scherzer moving forward, but keep an eye on his status in the upcoming week. I feel pretty doom and gloom about it as a Mets fan. I just see the writing on the wall, and I think he's going to miss a lot of time, so... I don't know about this one. I really had high hopes for Scherzer coming into the season, especially as a Mets fan, but mainly as a fantasy player. I thought that he was going a little bit later and getting a little discounted despite being one of the better pitchers in the majors. And I don't know, it just seems a little off to me right now and kind of scared for him. But hopefully Scherzer's okay and it's just a little bit of next spasm problems. Eloy Jimenez of the White Sox was placed on the 10-day IL on Sunday, retroactive to May 6th. Following an appendectomy, he'll need at least four to six weeks to recover. So once again, Eloy just being out. We just haven't seen this guy play for more than like 20 games, it feels like. Yoan Moncada of the White Sox is expected to be activated from the injured list on Friday. So that's good news for the White Sox. And even more good news, Liam Hendricks of the White Sox pitched a scoreless inning on Wednesday in a minor league rehab appearance. He's expected to make two additional rehab appearances before returning to the White Sox. He's on track to return sometime next week. So that's phenomenal. The White Sox have needed a guy in the ninth that just isn't absolutely doing horrible like Reynaldo Lopez was and Kendall Graveman was up and down. So I'm sure the White Sox are going to be thrilled to have him back. And regardless of if he pitches well or not, I think Liam Hendricks has to be the comeback player of the year regardless because of what he overcame and the fact that he's going to be pitching this season and this early in the season is just remarkable. So big shout out to Liam Hendricks. Nico Horner of the Cubs was out of the lineup on Tuesday and Wednesday due to a mild left hamstring strain. He was removed from the game on Monday after running to third base after a single, and he immediately looked like something was wrong, and obviously it was the hamstring. So the Cubs haven't put Horner on the IL yet, so it's possible that he returns this weekend depending on how he feels, but just keep an eye out for him. Consider him day-to-day for now, but he could 
possibly go on an IL stint soon. And some good news for the Cubs, besides the promotion of Christopher Morrell, who's been playing very well, rhyming on purpose, of course. Matt Mervis was called up by the Cubs on Friday, May 5th, one of their top prospects. He made his MLB debut on Friday as well. He's currently batting 190, 227, 190 with no extra base hits over his first five games. Mervis has been a hot name this past offseason and is a top prospect in the Cubs organization, so it's definitely worth taking a chance on him and seeing if he can pick things up, but obviously not the best start right out of the gate, but hopefully he'll be okay because he has a lot of potential, a lot of power potential there. And last but certainly not least, probably the biggest promotion news that we've seen in quite some time. We've had a lot of prospect pitchers being called up. We even had a full section dedicated to them with Brandon Fott and Gavin Stone and all these other names, but Yuri Perez of the Marlins will be recalled from double A to start for the Marlins on Friday, May 12th. By the time that you're hearing this, he's already pitched and we'll probably cover it in next week's episode, but this kid is a legitimate must-add player. He's 20 years old, 6 foot 8, 220 pounds, and throws absolute gas. In Double A, he had a 2.32 ERA with a 42 to 9 K to walk ratio over 31 innings. Go and grab Perez wherever you can. We're not sure if this is a call up for the rest of the season type of deal, or if he's only here until Trevor Rogers returns and Johnny Cueto returns. But still, get him while you can because this guy is absolutely electric. The youngest pitcher to get called up and pitch was, I believe, Julio Urias at 19 years old, and Yuri Perez is the second on that list, being 20 years old. So very, very big excitement coming out of the Miami Marlins team because Yuri Perez is finally here. John, any last comments on this whole list? Uh, I'm a big fan of Yuri. Uh, I I think he's definitely got the skills to last in the majors for a long while. Um, I mean, that frame is incredible. He's 6'8" and 220 when he's i think he's only 20 years old right yep you said that um I, he's definitely had the most hype of any modernist prospect probably since jose fernandez yeah um and so uh, yeah the, I, it's legit he's he's been i think in professional ball since he was like 17 i think um I just have the quandrum where uh, I have him in Dynasty, but I'm also facing him this week in my home league. So, Oh, man, I, yeah. I'm not necessarily hoping for a poor Perez start, but I wouldn't mind it if he, you know, didn't get a quality start or just kind of <laughs> wasn't as great. Um, so we'll see. Uh, it, he does have a really cushy uh, two start, uh, first two starts for to start his, um, his major league uh, career. So... I believe he gets Washington and then Cincinnati. So, uh, you know, good for, good for Yuri. I'll be excited to see how he does this season. Yeah, I'm also kind of mad because in my home league, I was going to grab him, but I had to wait till 3 a.m. when Yahoo unlocks the rosters because I had a certain someone that we might talk about a little bit later that I was going to drop for Yuri. And instead, someone beat me to the punch, and that person is actually my opponent this week in the head-to-head -head league. So, tough. yeah, I really don't know what to root for, but it's going to be exciting regardless because this guy is a legitimate top 10 prospect and probably the most exciting Marlins pitching prospect, like you said, since Jose Fernandez. Yuri Perez even said that he's looked up to Sandy Alcantara and he throws even faster than Sandy and has really good command of all of his pitches. So very exciting prospect there. Go and grab him if you can. But before we get into our weekly performance recap, we'll take a quick break, so stay tuned. 
All right, we are back, and it's time for our weekly performance recap. John, get us started with this past weekend. Yeah, uh, just as a reminder again, we get all of this information from the uh, batter's box and the SP Roundup articles on the Pitchless website. Those come out every single day, so uh, definitely check those out because we only get to really highlight one or two players for every single day, whereas those articles are uh, highlighting a bunch of guys. In the, for the SP Roundup, they're highlighting every starter, so... Uh, definitely check those out just as part of your your fantasy research. But starting on Friday, Fernando Tatis Jr. of the Padres, of course, two for five with two homers, two runs, three RBIs. And uh, yeah, he hit both these homers off Clayton Kershaw in a single game. Uh, I didn't check any, you know, stat head or record books, but I feel like that might be the first time that's happened. Uh, Tatis is smoking the ball right now. Um, you know, he's there was a highlight in yesterday's game against the Twins. Uh, where he hit a ball 102 miles an hour. It was foul, so uh, it didn't result in anything cool. But, um, yeah, it, I was actually at the game, and that, that thing just left off his bat. Um, so he's definitely fully healthy. Um, probably the one thing that's been a little blemish on his season right now is that he isn't really showing the same patience that he's shown before at the plate. His walk rate's only 3.7%, whereas in the past it's been in the 10 11% range. But he is racking up counting stats with four homers and 10 RBI in 17 games. Um, that's close to being on pace for like a 40 homer, 100 RBI season. So he's definitely uh, hitting the ball well. Um, we just hope that the ratios eventually catch up to his actual performance and the, yeah, that average and that OB people come up. As I mentioned, Bryce Harper has been back. Uh, he went two for five with a home run, a run, and an RBI on Saturday. Um, that was his first homer of this season. The ratios are really, really good right now. 321, 406, 464. Yes, it's only seven games, um, but those are numbers that you expect out of Bryce, right? If I told you that Harper had, you know, an 870 OPS, you'd say, okay, yeah, that, that sounds about right. Um, so clearly he's he's back um, and, and he's yeah, at least making contact and hitting the ball at a rate that we'd expect. Um, the only thing here is that the home run of the RBA that he got his game is kind of the only home run and RBI he's had in the past week, but he does have eight runs. So the Phillies offense is doing a good job of getting him in uh, to home when he's on base. So maybe he is the catalyst that, that team needs. I'm sure you're happy about that as a Mets fan. And then finally, <laughs> Paul Goldschmidt on Sunday with the Cardinals, four for five, three homers, four runs, four RBIs and a stolen base. Uh, Goldie might be the only bright spot on the Cardinals team that is struggling hard early in the season. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about the Cardinals and just kind of the dysfunction in that organization. But uh, Goldschmidt's been at least doing well. He's well on pace to also reach his highest steal total since 2018. He's doing really well in all the other categories as well. He's generating more hard contact too this season, which is kind of impressive at 35 years old. He's striking out less too, so you know he's definitely improving. Uh, even as he ages. Let's just hope the rest of the Cardinals team can follow his example, because when you hit three homers and only get four RBI, uh, man, that's just a little sad. Yeah, I mean, first off, we'll start with Tatis. I'm against him in the same head-to-head -head league. So <laughs> He also hit a homer on Thursday when we're recording this, so he's yep. been off to mm -hmm. a great start since he's came back. It's really good to see, obviously, because he's coming off of a steroid suspension and a few injuries. So it's good to see that because whenever I see someone get suspended for steroids, I always wonder, is that the reason why they were good? And you really kind of linger with that. And 
obviously Tatis has been good for a while now. Whenever he's on the field, he is an absolute stud and a face of baseball type of player. But you always wonder, was it the steroids? But it looks like it's not because he is just looking otherworldly. And we've seen him succeed in small sample sizes already. So if he can stay healthy for the rest of the season, I fully expect those projections of maybe 40 homers, 100 RBI to be real. So yeah, I'm expecting big things out of Tatis. I think he's going to be great. Bryce Harper coming back. Like you said, obvious poor timing for my Mets. We already have our own issues to deal with, so I don't think Bryce Harper is going <laughs> to add any more headache to me. But yeah, it's really awesome to see. I mean, honestly, a lot of people don't like Bryce Harper for some reason, but I definitely root for him. He is someone that is just so fascinating to watch, and I love his heart and spirit, the way he plays the game. He's awesome. He is so awesome, and it's great to see him back on the field. It's honestly better baseball when he's healthy and on the field. So the fact that he came back so quick from his injury is incredible, and it's good to see him doing well to begin with. And then Paul Goldschmidt, what a game. Three homers. He had four homers going into that game. So he nearly Mm -hmm. doubled his homer count in one game. And I think he was ranked like 120th on Yahoo before this game, and then he shot up to 26. So... (laughs) Pretty remarkable from Paul Goldschmidt there. It's just kind of the usual. We expect this out of Goldie at this point. He's pretty much a future Hall of Famer and -hmm. just looks really good. And like you said, the only bright spot on that Cardinals team, which, boy, oh boy, lots of headaches there. (laughs) Yeah, they they aren't doing super hot, which is unfortunate. Definitely not. Yeah. Well, moving on to pitchers, we're going to start with Merrill Kelly of the Diamondbacks going up against the Nationals on Friday. He pitched seven innings with one earned run, four hits, one walk, and ten strikeouts. Jeez. What a start from Kelly. Um, Obviously dominating the weaker competition in the Nationals. Uh, The Nationals were unable to take advantage of his spotty command with the four-seamer. It was kind of all over the place, a little bit kind of middle-middle a couple times. And it somehow earned a 42% CSW. The money pitches for Kelly were the changeup and the curveball. Both of them earned um, a combined seven whiffs, um, which isn't great, but uh, it's it's what got him 10, 10 of those strikeouts. Um, this, of course, uh, didn't result in a great outing next time around. On Wednesday, he faced the Marlins, went six innings with four earned runs. So kind of just showing that Kelly, you know, he has some good starts and he has some bad starts, but uh, he is definitely worth streaming against the poor opponents. Um, and for the really, you probably have him on your roster. He's not really a streaming option anymore. Um, but it's nice to see a little dominance from him. Uh, Nathan Eovaldi of the Rangers went up against the Angels on Saturday, pitched eight innings with zero and runs, five hits, two walks, and five strikeouts. Eovaldi has been on fire lately, first with a complete game shutout against the Yankees. He followed that up with eight shutout innings against the Angels. Uh, as we're recording on Thursday, he's also having a he also had uh, I should say a great performance um, against uh, the A's. Um, he currently has a scoreless streak of 28 and two thirds innings pitched, which is um, incredible. Um, in this start specifically, didn't come with a lot of whips, only 10 of them, but he induced plenty of ground balls. That's been a good factor of his success this season. Um, he's top uh one of the better pitchers in the league right now in terms of inducing ground balls um and with a couple stars like DeGrom and Seager out even though Seager is supposedly coming back soon um Evaldi's just been stepping up at the right time for this Texas team which is one of the hotter teams right now in the majors and then finally Joe Musgrove of the Padres um, against the Dodgers on Sunday went five innings with zero earned runs two hits three walks and five strikeouts the big thing here like I mentioned last week was that Musgrove's start was pushed back because he had a blister on his foot um but he didn't really miss a beat against the dodgers um 
He did have a poor start against the Giants uh, last time around, so you know, we're kind of seeing Kenny bounce back from that. Um, and he did. Uh, five shutout innings is pretty solid. Uh, would love to see more pitches out of him, but I can understand the Padres' caution with you know him dealing with a blister. The interesting, the interesting thing to track with Musgrove this year, he's opting to use his slider less uh, in favor of increasing the usage on his four-seamer cutter and changeup. So all three of those, the usage we've seen go up this season. The fastball, eh, it's all right. Um, it's nothing to write home about. The cutter and the changeup, though, have been really, really good so far this season. Cutter's in the 94th percentile based on pitcher list value, PLV. Um, and the changeup is in the 70th percentile. So um, both those pitches, I think increasing the usage on them is a really good thing. The slider is still pretty solid. But, you know, if he's able to mix it up a little bit more, uh, Musgrove could have some pretty big success this year. So the only note I really have is for Nathan Ivaldi, who's been out of his mind recently. And like you said, as we're recording this, he just finished up a game against the Athletics where he went 8.2 innings pitch with 12 strikeouts against the Athletics. Obviously, it's the Athletics, but what a performance. And also, Will Smith got a one-out save in that game, which is pretty wild. But, I mean, Ivaldi's on a roll. And he was someone that maybe up about three starts ago was someone borderline droppable. That if you mm-hmm. picked him up or you drafted him, you were considering cutting bait. I know that one of my league mates in my home league was considering dropping him because he's been so bad. But there was a lot of things that were looking good for him. And it's really showing now. He's really putting all of that into effect. And the results are here. I mean, back-to-back eight-plus inning starts. Just pretty remarkable. I mean, against the Angels and the Athletics, what a run for Nathan Ivaldi. He looks fantastic. And Joe Musgrove, it's good to see him getting back to where he should be. And he was a very discounted guy in drafts, like I said. And hopefully he can come back and be the ace that we expect him to be. Moving on to Monday, May 8th, from the Daily Hitting Recap article by Gabe Gorlnick. We start with Christian Walker of the Diamondbacks. He went 2-4 for four with a double, homer, run, and 2 RBI. After a really rough start to the year where he went on an 0-for-19 stretch at one point, Walker has really found his way. His slash line is currently 274, 313, 533, with 9 home runs, 21 runs, 28 RBI, and even a chipped-in stolen base. Walker is one of the premier power hitters for fantasy nowadays, and it's good to see him picking up right where he left off last season. The hard hit percentage is still a bit down, but I think it'll crawl back up to the usual top percentile that it always is, since the beginning of the season really skewed his stat cast numbers. I was very high on Christian Walker and the Diamondbacks for pretty much the entire offseason. And the reason being is I think Corbin Carroll is just going to be one of the best players in fantasy and baseball. So I figured that, hey, if Christian Walker was doing well last season with a lot of struggling offense pieces around him, now we have Cattell Marte, Josh Roas, who's been looking good, Corbin Carroll, who has been dynamite so far. Christian Walker is going to be driving all of them in. So... I really like Christian Walker from a fantasy perspective. I think he's going to give us 30-plus home runs and an easy 100-plus RBI. So if you stuck with him, it's paying off right now. I certainly did. I love Christian Walker. And then MJ Melendez of the Royals, who went 2-for-5 with a homer, 2 runs, and 4 RBI. All of the Royals collectively teed off on Dylan Cease in this one, winning the game by a whopping 12-to-5 score. Melendez was seen as a top catcher option that was going very late in drafts this season with his promising power potential. However, he's off to an extremely slow start. Obviously, he's playing in right field and not catcher, but he still has catcher eligibility from last season. So for this season, at least we can take advantage of it in fantasy. 
with a current slash line of 214, 293, 374, and four home runs, 17 runs, and 17 RBI, he's been quite underwhelming, I'd say. However, the underlying numbers look great. His hard hit percentage is in the 98th percentile, max exit velocity is in the 90th percentile, average exit velocity is in the 98th percentile, and then barrel percentage is in the 87th percentile. Even his X slug is nearly 100 points higher than what his slugging percentage actually is. The only problem with Melendez is that he strikes out so much. I think that you have to stick it out with Melendez and hope that with how hard he's hitting the ball, the counting stats will come with it eventually, and hopefully that K percentage drops too, but for catcher options, I mean, all of them are not too great, and if you have MJ Melendez, I think you just got to rock with him. Yeah, uh, interesting piece about Christian Walker is that his walk rate is, ironically, super low Yeah, yep. right now, 5.4%, but I expect that to go up because I'm just looking at you know his his uh, numbers on pitcher list. His his OBP right now is uh, 313. His ex woba, which it's not exactly the same, but still you know expected uh, weighted on base average, is 363. Yeah. Um. And so I definitely expect that walk rate to go up. Um. You know, looking at PLV metrics, he's making good decisions at the plate. It just isn't translating to walks. Um. And so yeah, definitely expect that to work out. But yeah, he's been a machine at least in the RBI department. So, um, you know, good for him there. And then uh, just a note about the Royals that one game, um, thanks to a uh, friend of the pod, Kevin O'Brien, who's come on a couple times. Uh, he mentioned that the, on Twitter that the Royals were kind of sitting on Cease's um, fastball, I believe. Um, so just good for the Royals to you know put up 12 runs on the White Sox. But Melendez, yeah, he's been he's been underwhelming. I think a lot of people were hoping that he'd take a step forward from last year. Um, I mean, everyone was hoping really all the Royals would take a step forward from last year, um, and it's been tough for them as a team to gel. But, um, yeah, we'll see how he improves. Um, we'll see, actually. I, the one thing I'm interested in to see if is if the Royals let him play catcher a couple more games this, this season, um, just so that he has eligibility for next year as well. Yeah, no one really cares if he can catch for the Royals at any point. We just want nope. that catcher eligibility for fantasy. Completely, yeah. <laughs> That's the only thing. So please, Royals, let Melendez catch a little bit more so we have another good catching option in that cesspool of a position. So, Also, yeah, with Christian Walker, too, I also think his walks will get better. He's usually a good 340, 350 OBP kind of guy, and the mm -hmm. ex-Woba looks that way as well. Like I said, his numbers are very skewed because of a horrible start. So I think they'll start to even out and balance out a little bit more. He's been on a super hot streak. So hopefully that can continue and the Diamondbacks can keep playing well. Moving on to the pitchers for Monday from the SP Roundup article, Cease Misfire by Nick Pollock. There were a lot of great pitching performances on Monday. Shout out to the normal aces going to ace, Shane McClanahan and Zach Gallen, who had incredible starts. But let me highlight a few lesser names that have made names for themselves with their starts today, starting with Mitch Keller of the Pirates. He went nine innings pitched, no earned runs, four hits, one walk, and eight strikeouts against the Rockies. Yes, this came in a rocky road start, which is a match against the Rockies away from Coors Field, if you didn't know. But it doesn't change the fact that this was an unbelievable start from Keller. My honorary cousin pounded the zone with strikes, and the Rockies just couldn't make any hard contact, 
With a new six-pitch arsenal, Keller has really elevated his game this season and seems to be breaking out like we all hoped he would a few seasons back when he came onto the scene. If you picked up Keller when he started this hot streak, congratulations because he seems to be having a 2022 Kyle Wright type of season where he's just mowing down opponents, getting good strikeouts per inning, and winning games. I mean, he's a big catalyst on why the Pirates are winning some games and it's remarkable to see. He's pitching really well. I mean, he had a 30% CSW in this one, 11 whiffs. I mean, just a lot of good things from the Pirates and Mitch Keller. And then John Gray of the Rangers, he went seven innings pitched, one earned run, four hits, no walks, and eight strikeouts against the Mariners. Hi, it's me again, president of the John Gray fan club. Fun fact, I had a one-of-one one Superfractor autographed rookie card of John Gray's from Topps Tribute, and I sold it for $250, which is great because I got it in a break for about $25. So I think I still made out pretty well on that. But anyways, what a good start from Gray in this one. Honestly, he looked a lot different in this start than in his others. His fastball was a mile per hour faster, and he threw it less often than usual. And his slider was four miles per hour faster, and he threw it more often than usual. The slider alone returned a 50% CSW with 10 whiffs, and his changeup had a 38% CSW as well. His next start comes against the Athletics, so if he's floating out there on your wire, pick him up for that one, because if these velocity spikes and pitch mix change is real, you could be in for a real treat. I mean... He had 20 whiffs and a 36% CSW, getting a golden goal in this one against the Mariners, which are a great team, and he only had 89 pitches, so this was truly a great start from John Gray, and this is what I always expect out of him, even though he gives me a lot more duds than this one. I mean, that's the problem with John Gray, right? Like, I think we were all really excited about him finally getting out of Colorado, then he goes to Texas, and it's like, eh. <laughs> yeah, for real, that's really what like, it was. Eh. That was all right, I guess. Like, he didn't turn into, like, an SP2 or anything. Um, he was still kind of in that SP3, 4 range. Yep. Um, so, yeah, we'll we'll see how that goes. <laughs> um, but Mitch Keller, it's kind, of, it's kind of impressive because if you look at his pitch chart, that in, that game against the Rockies, like, like, there's a good chunk of pitches that he's just throwing middle-middle. Yeah, right down and, the middle. Um, yep. <laughs> I, I don't know how he's doing this. Like, it's kind of incredible, actually. Um, uh, yeah, ride the wave as long as you can, for sure. Um, he's getting he was getting a lot of called strikes with a sinker, which is pretty cool. Um, PLV kind of believes in it. Uh, you know, like, he's he's a... Based on PLV metrics, like, he's, he's doing exactly what the metrics say he should be doing. So, um, yeah, keep riding with Mitch, and we'll to see how far it goes. Agreed. All right, moving on to Tuesday. Uh, thanks to Mark Stubinger for his daily hitting recap. Uh, we're going to start with Jorge Soler of the Marlins. Two for four with two homers, two runs, five RBI. Big story about this game, of course, was Brandon Fott making his debut. Uh, but Soler decided to ruin that with two homers. Uh, he's been wildly inconsistent this year. But what else is new from Soler? That's kind of what you expected. The average is a little higher. Uh, but honestly, you'd hope that because he was barely above the Mendoza line last year. He does have good counting stats, 9 homers, 20 RBI, 36 games. So that's definitely nothing to uh, to scoff at. He's increased his fly ball rate this year. He's decreased the ground ball rate, which is kind of what you want to see from a guy like Soler. Um, he's above. He's an above average hitter. He slots nicely into kind of an outfielder 4, outfielder 5 slot in a deeper league. 
he might soon be worth an ad in shallower leagues as well. I mean, that average is just always going to hurt you. But if you're willing to do deal with that and have good counting stats, um, yeah, that makes Solaire a pretty good pickup. Um, and then your boy, Francisco Alvarez of the Mets, two for four with two homers, two runs, and two RBI. 20 games into his 2023 Major League campaign. And you could probably say that Alvarez has been struggling. It's kind of expected, though. I mean, he is a rookie. He did show off the power on Tuesday with two homers. But if he really will succeed in the majors, um, he'll need to improve his eye at the plate. The walk rate right now is below the 10 percentile among qualified hitters. The strikeout rate's really high as well. If you look at the underlying metrics, though, and this is kind of where it gets interesting, where you look at advanced metrics versus you know what we're seeing just results-wise, PLV seems to indicate that his strike zone judgment and decision-making is about league average. Uh, so that's definitely better than the 10th percentile the struggle for him is that he's just not making very good contact and so that that ends up being uh, he isn't able to get walks as much because um he's just making poor contact and his balls in play just don't result in, in anything good and so in short he has plenty of stuff to work on but he's still only a 20 year old catcher there's still plenty of time for him to grow up and improve yeah the one thing i'm happy about is that alvarez is actually getting playing time to begin with I think that's mainly due to Tomas Nito having a little bit of an injury problem here. But it's good to see that he's getting playing time. We really don't have many other options. Obviously, Omar Narvaez is also on the shelf at the moment. So he really has to step up and be that guy. And he's going to struggle a little bit. Like when he got called up and you asked, what do we expect out of Alvarez? I think he's going to be really good. I do. I don't know about this season, but he is obviously one of the top prospects in the game and number one in the Mets organization so right he's got a lot of power and a lot of promise it's just about making contact not striking out as much and really just not trying to hit home runs and really just drive the ball in general so I see really good things for Alvarez and if he catches fire here and starts to get a groove I think the main thing he's missing is consistency. If he is getting consistent playing time, he'll be able mm-hmm. to easily get into a groove and maybe find his way at the plate. So as long as he's getting playing time, I think he's a good speculative ad if you need a catcher. And then Jorge Soler has been off to an incredible start this season. He's someone that we've seen put up incredible numbers. He hit 48 homers, I believe, one season. So it's right, not out yeah. of the norm that he can do something like this. So I would just ride it while it's hot. I would just keep it going. If he's hitting homers, it's something that's very valuable for your team. Right. Yeah, that 48 homer season was the rabbit ball year, though. Right. Um, so it's like a little, eh. but he did hit 27 in 2021. So it, it the power is there. It's just he's so maddingly inconsistent. That, did he eclipse um, 30 homers at any point in his career besides the uh, rabbit ball year? I, I think it's just the rabbit ball year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but the other thing, too, is just health has been an issue for him. Right. So, um, you know, only 306 plate appearances last year. Uh, 2020, we could kind of throw that out. 2018, he only had 257. So, yeah, I mean, Sorlera is just one of those guys where it's like, you know, the potential is there. Yep. And if you look, if you just look at his counting stats, like nine homers, 20 RBI, like that's really, really good. 508 slugging. Uh, But then you see, oh, 235 average. Um he hit 207 last year, you know, like it just doesn't pretty sometimes, but yeah, I could um, see an Adam Duvall type of season out of him where he hits like 32 yes. homers, 90 RBI. Yeah. And that's perfectly feasible. He's, he's on track to, to hit that. So yep. yeah. Um, we'll, we'll see how that goes for Solaire. Definitely. If you have him on your team and you're enjoying it, don't drop him. 
Um, but he might not be like an immediate, oh, I need to go pick him up sort of right. player yet. Uh, well, moving on to pitchers, uh, with uh, thanks to Nick Pollock for the Stat Geo article. Uh, George Kirby of the Mariners went up against uh, the Rangers. Seven innings, zero earned runs, six hits, no walks, nine strikeouts, and a win. Uh, Mr. Kirby sucked up the potent Rangers offense with a shutout performance, even if it didn't come with a lot of whiffs. Um, he's still incredibly effective because, as usual, he didn't walk anyone. In all seven of his starts, he's had four starts with no walks. The other three starts, he's only walked one guy. We'll take those results even if the K per nine isn't as stellar as we'd like it to be. Uh, yeah, Kirby's just really growing in, into a really solid pitcher. He might not be ace level just yet, uh, but he is definitely one of those guys that you are happy you have on your roster. Another guy you're pretty happy to have in your roster, Framber Valdez of the Astros. Got a win against the Angels going eight innings, one earned run, three hits, no walks, and 12 strikeouts. Wow. Uh, he's been He's been inconsistent this year. Uh, he does manage to limit the damage so he can still earn a quality start. But, it, you know, if you're in a wins league, there's been some wins and losses kind of sprinkled in there this season. In this start, the interesting thing was that he opted to lower the usage on the sinker in favor of the cutter. And it worked as he got nine whiffs alone on the cutter. Uh, we'll see if this continues to stick with Framber because a Framber who can earn quality starts but also strike people out is a really nice bonus. That's always kind of been the knock against him is that he's kind of a high whip pitcher. Um, and uh, even though he did, you know led the league in quality starts last year, but 12 strikeouts, man, that would be we're not expecting that out of Framber every single week. But if he can, you know, kind of average more than a strikeout per inning, um, all of a sudden he goes from like a really really solid pitcher to like a guy who. Um, is almost untradeable. Yeah, Framber Valdez looks like he's having his best season yet. Like, ah, man, these strikeouts, we can't really expect them, but that they're happening. It's mm-hmm. actually happening right now, and he's labeled as this big ground ball pitcher. Yeah. And he does still have a good ground ball percentage, but the strikeouts are coming too. So the fact that he's able to combine the two really puts him in an upper echelon type of ace type level. And I'm really liking what I'm seeing out of him. I think he can follow up his remarkable season last year where he set a record for quality starts and whatnot. I think he could be just as good or maybe even better this season. So, Framber's looking great. I mean, big start out of him this one. And then George Kirby, his walk rate, as you mentioned, is just ridiculous at this point. So, it's really great to see him shut down an offense like Texas, who's been on a roll. And, I mean, you can't really ask for more. Obviously, 9Ks is great, and you'd like to see more strikeouts on the whole for Kirby because he's lacked in those but as long as his whip is low you're going to be happy about it but before we recap the rest of the week and say a little ode to Lance Lynn we'll take a quick break we'll be right back after this all right we're back and it's time to move on to Wednesday May 10th from the daily hitting recap article from Jim Chatterton we have Max Kepler of the Twins who went two for five with a double a home run three runs and an RBI Kepler got the game started with a 415-foot homer, then hit a 103.3-mile-per-hour exit velocity double in the third, and then hit a 102.4-mile-per-hour exit velocity double play ground ball towards the end of the game. The one thing Kepler has done all season is hit the ball hard. His PL and baseball savant page has a whole lot of red on it, 88th percentile in hard hit percentage, 85th percentile in average exit velocity, and 88th percentile barrel percentage. Kepler has been hitting first or second in the Twins lineup of late, and if that continues, he can really provide some solid counting stats for your fantasy team. 
His slash line is currently 214, 301, 449, and he has 6 home runs, 17 runs, and 14 RBI, so nothing to write home about, but those numbers can change in the blink of an eye. I think he's most viable in 5 outfield leagues or 12 team leagues plus, but if he gets hot with his stat cast numbers, he can help any team in any league. And then Nick Prado of the Royals went 2 for 4 with a homer, 2 runs, and 3 RBI. Prado was a highly touted prospect that had a lot of people excited for fantasy purposes. Last year, he was called up and struggled mightily. This season, he started with the team, was sent down, and then he got called back up. And since being called back up, he's had a slash line of 400, 478, 625, with three doubles, two home runs, nine runs, and 12 RBI. He's only 24 years old and has seemed to find his stride at the plate as of late. He's got first base and outfield eligibility on Yahoo. And like Kepler, I think he's more of a deeper league five outfield play. But with his prospect pedigree, he could be a very useful fantasy asset this season. The Royals are starting to look good. Yeah, Kepler is, as a Twins fan, somewhat infuriating. Yeah. Because he's batting up in the order and he's batting like 214 so it's like like dude (laughs) this is not a guy that you 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 generally bat high of the order because he he doesn't really get on base either his yeah his one calling card is he hits the ball hard um a lot of people are hoping more out of kepler this year because he was one of those guys who was like a classic like the shift ruined him sort of sort of dude but yeah he's just kind of annoying not not annoying i mean I, i love kep i think he's He's a really solid player. He's a really solid all-around player. But in fantasy, and when it comes to counting stats, he, he could just be so frustrating. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, he makes sense in like a, a five outfield league or, or a deeper league um, where the outfield crop is starting to dry up a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I would, I probably wouldn't roster him in a 12-teamer right now um, just because that average it's kind of like the solar issue right like the 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 ratio is bringing him down but the problem with kep is that the the counting stats also aren't that great so um yeah it's one of those conundrums and then with prado yeah i just hope he he gets more run with the royals i mean they have no reason not to play their young guys um and uh, yeah i like what you said he's still more more of a deeper league five outfielder play um, but he is kind of showing that power. Um, I almost talked about him because he, he had a pretty decent game today uh, on Thursday. Um, he, I think he hit a homer. So, um, yeah, he's definitely just been a, a hot player this week, and you, I could see the Royals still continuing to, to have him go because what else are they going to do? <laughs> yeah, that's for certain. Moving on to pitchers from Wednesday from the SP Roundup article, The Last Lance from Nick Pollock. Shout out to the usual aces going to ace in Gosman, Wheeler, Verlander, Javier, and Kershaw that all pitched excellent on Wednesday, but it's time to share a really good pitching performance, followed by the worst pitching performance. (laughs) We'll start with Eduardo Rodriguez of the Tigers. He went seven innings pitched, no earned runs, four hits, two walks, and eight strikeouts against the Guardians. Rodriguez has been on quite a roll lately, pitching to the tune of a 1.57 ERA, a 0.79 whip, and 47 strikeouts in 51.2 innings pitched. I dove a little bit deeper into Rodriguez, and I didn't find anything that was standing out specifically on why he's succeeding this year. Maybe he's just feeling more healthy. He had the myocarditis issue as well as COVID back in 2020, 
We always thought that he'd be a great pitcher, but he constantly piles up injuries and he randomly disappeared at one point in one of the seasons. So maybe this is just the result of him actually being healthy and breaking out as we all hoped and thought he would. But Nick seems to think that it's more of a Vargas rule type of guy, which means he's a pitcher that historically hasn't been so good, that is performing at a higher level than we thought. Kind of like how Martin Perez was last season, and I mostly agree with that. Nick pointed out in the recap that he doesn't have exceptional stuff, which Rodriguez has never had exceptional stuff. That's the one thing that really held him back. But he's locating his four-seamer and cutter very well this season, which is aiding in his success. If by some chance he's not rostered in your league, go and grab him. And if you do currently roster him, it may be time to sell high. I think there's a lot of good options that you could probably get on the cheap. Maybe a struggling or upset Nola owner if you package Rodriguez <laughs> and a good bat for Nola. Maybe that could work. There's some guys out there that are underperforming that I expect to be better. I think you could straight up trade Eduardo Rodriguez for Alec Manoa at this point. So, I don't know if you'd want to do that, but that's yeah, an option. I don't know if you, you. want to do that yeah. one. I don't know if you'd want to, but it's an option. Like, I would explore your options with Rodriguez. I wouldn't hold on to him for dear life because it's not like this guy is breaking out and blowing it by people or striking out the world. He looks good and he's pitching well. And maybe it lasts the entire season, but I think it's best if you try to sell high now, especially while the ERA and whip look this good. And then Lance Lynn of the White Sox, uh, he went five innings pitched, seven earned runs, nine hits, two walks, and four strikeouts against the Royals. Oh man, I was hoping this day wouldn't come. It's finally time to let go of Lance Lynn. All season, I've been preaching to remain patient with guys like Chris Sale and Lance Lynn, two guys that I was heavily invested in across many leagues. However, it's time to cut bait with one of them, and that one is Lance Lynn. With this start, he's given up four-plus earned runs in five of his last six starts. For the season, he has a 7.51 ERA and a 1.60 whip. The only promising thing is that he has 54 strikeouts in 44.1 innings pitched, but with those strikeouts, the walk rate is up more than usual for Lynn, so is it even a benefit? He had a rough schedule to start with the Astros, Giants, Twins, Blue Jays, and Rays all in a row, but the last two starts were supposed to turn him around with the Reds and Royals, and what did he do? He stunk. I fully believe that Lance Lynn will be better than this moving forward. I wouldn't be surprised at all if he did what he did last season with a first half ERA of 7.50, literally the same ERA as he has right now in 36 innings pitched last season, and a second half ERA of 2.52 in 85.2 innings pitched last year. And that was right after he had his knee injury. So obviously he came back strong and he had a very slow start. But I think that you can't start him right now for the foreseeable future. And if you can't start him, you probably shouldn't roster him. That's the one thing I always say to myself. If I have to bench a guy for a matchup, why do I even roster him? Sure, there's rare scenarios where you're like, oh, I don't want to start this guy at Coors or whatnot. But if you can't start Lance Lynn against the Royals, against the Reds, you just probably shouldn't roster him. So with all that being said, I have an ode to Lance Lynn prepared. A final farewell, one might say. I tried to be patient with you, Lance Lynn. I really did. I defended you. I gave you the benefit of the doubt. I saw the strikeouts. 
I watched every start, and I saw you getting single to death every game. I saw the potential. I know what you did to end the 2022 season. I believed in you. I drafted you as a pseudo ace in the middle rounds. I tried my best to hang on. However, it's time to launch you 10 million miles into the sun. Maybe one day I'll get in a rocket ship and pull you back onto my roster. But for now, goodbye, my plump whip and ERA imploder of a man. Farewell. <laughs> yeah. Lance Lynn, man. Um, it's kind of unfortunate because he was on the Twins in 2018. Yep. And uh, we traded him because the Twins were tanking and he also wasn't that great. He goes to the Rangers finishes the season lights out dominates <laughs> yeah he's striking the walk ratio first half of that season 1.65 second half of that season 3.33 jeez um and it's because he actually decreased his walk rate it was because he increased right. his strikeout rate by tons right. but it was like oh he has good command now like lance Lynn is i'm not saying he's a second half guy but he's a second half guy. <laughs> honestly it's true and it's, yeah, it's so frustrating because obviously you draft him relatively high. Um, and then and then he, you know, sucks for the first eight starts of the season. You're like, I can't hold on to this guy. I can't start him. And then, you know, he's on the waiver for like one month. Some random guy picks him up for like a stream because it's like a good matchup. And all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, Lance Lynn's back. Um, and it's so frustrating. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, it's yeah. someone that, I had so much faith in because of how he ended last season. Like I said, yeah. mm-hmm. he looked great. And I was watching his starts. His command looked good. And even in the WBC, he looked pretty good right out of the yep. gate. Mm-hmm. And obviously, he didn't have a full spring training because of the WBC. But Lance Lynn looked to be an SP2 guy that you can rely on that was going in like the 8th to 10th round range. And mm-hmm. I believed in it fully. And man, was I burned more than ever. And Like I said, I fully expect him to be better. I don't think he's going to be this bad the whole season. I don't think just because he turned 36 this year, he fell off of a cliff. Sure, he might just be done. This could be the end. Put a fork in him. He might be done. But I truly think that the second half, he's going to be good again. And he's probably going to be worth rostering. But for now, you just can't roster him. You can't. You can't. It's just eating a spot that is blowing up all of your ratios. And you just can't do it. Yeah, if there's maybe one positive thing about Lance Lynn, it's that um, based on PLV, he is purely average. Right. And that's a good thing because the way he's pitching right now, he's definitely below average. Um, But uh, at least the quality of his pitches would indicate that he should be a league average pitcher, Um, which is, you know, mostly startable in most fantasy leagues. Um, and so we'll see, yeah, kind of how that, how that shapes out for the rest of the season, because clearly he's good enough to, to be like, a maybe a top 50 pitcher, top 40 pitcher, maybe even, um, it just, yeah, the results just aren't there. And that really sucks. You said that there was one positive thing that he's like an average pitcher. I think there's one other positive thing that he's off of all of my fantasy teams now. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. there's a few more promising things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, that's always how it works, right? Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, and funny thing about Erod, I was going to mention because you you compared him to Martin Perez, and yeah, we had that whole whole thing last year where it's like, would Martin Perez finish as a top thirty pitcher? Yep. Um, and he eventually, I think, finished like thirty two or thirty. He was really he was close. Yeah, close. I think it was thirty six yeah, yeah, yeah. or thirty four. I forget. Right. Yeah. So like, yeah, if Erod finishes as a you know a, a top thirty pitcher in in uh, in fantasy, hey, I'll I'll take that. 
It's pretty good. Especially because he was pretty much free everywhere, right? Like, you right, picked exactly. him up off of wires. You didn't draft him. You didn't know what you were going to get. The Tigers are a terrible team. So, mm-hmm. you really didn't put any stock into Rodriguez. And if you have him now, you probably got him for free. And that's why I think selling high on him is a good idea. Yeah, completely. Uh, yeah, if you could somehow get Aaron Nola for him, that would be pretty fun. Although Nola's been having his struggles too this season. So Yeah, but I would definitely rather Nola rest the season than Eduardo Rodriguez. Oh, totally. Yes, yeah. Although I've made that mistake before, and I have regretted it. <laughs> I have so. Nola in a few leagues, and he's been very underwhelming, but I, I think he'll turn it around. Yeah, yeah. We, we always say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, moving on to Thursday's game, we're going to start out with Josh Lowe, I believe, who went two for five uh, with a homer, two runs of five RBIs. Of course, he plays for the Red Hot Rays. This man currently sports a uh, 1,006 OPS. Uh, yeah, that's kind of incredible for someone who pretty much was an afterthought in drafts. Uh, I just looked up his consensus ADP, and it was like in the high 400s. <laughs> um, he's also currently batting eighth on the Red Hot Race, so yeah, there's not really a ton of reasons to pick up Josh Lowe. But uh, the data seems to indicate that, yes, he's batting and slugging at a much higher rate than expected. Uh, that's because his average in slugging is so high right now. Uh, it would be madness for any expected uh, stat to like predict that. Yeah, he definitely should be, you know, slugging or have a uh, have an ex woba of like six hundred. But the approach is still good, even if he's you know hitting way above what um, the expected stats say. The expected stats still say he's like a top five hitter right now. Um, the PLV picture indicates that his contact ability is about league average, but he's got good power which ultimately contributes to the higher hitter performance metric. Um, I think you just jump on the bandwagon and enjoy it as long as it lasts. The Rays are super hot right now, and they've clearly figured out something with their offense um, that the rest of the league is catching up to. Um, If you can get any exposure to that, I think that's a good thing. Uh, Joey Gallo of the Twins today went two for three with a run, an RBI, and a walk. Uh, So it's kind of weird to talk about Gallo uh, when he didn't hit a homer. But the big thing here is that he got out of a long slump. He went hitless in eight straight games. Uh, He finally cracked that slump a couple games ago, but then he again went hitless yesterday. Uh, But yeah, he had actually been doing pretty well up until that point. Um, He had a small stretch on the IL, but other than that, he'd been batting 236 in March and April, which is a lot better than um, below Mendoza line Gallo, which I think we've been used to seeing over the past couple of years. He's right at the Mendoza line right now. He's batting 200. He does have 140 WRC plus, though, and an 871 OPS. So even though he's not getting the bat to the ball as much as we would like, he is still producing a decent amount of counting stats and, and showing the power. Um, two hits and a walk in this game, I think, will help him regain some confidence for his approach at the plate. Just be able to get on base, I think, is a big thing for Gallo. Um, and, yeah, hopefully that jump starts kind of another another run for him. And then finally, Casey Schmidt, who I had no idea existed until <laughs> you told me to include him in this podcast. Uh, today, he went four for four with a run, a double, a home run, and three RBI. If you thought Josh Lowe's line was ridiculous, uh, Schmidt's OPS through three games is a cool 2,000. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's uh, playing at double the level of an MVP right now. Um, yeah, if, you have, if you're like me and you had no idea who Casey Schmidt is, here's the Spark Notes version. He was a second-round draft pick in 2020. He didn't really do anything of note in the minors other than 17 homers and 93 games at high A in 2022. Uh, but yeah, he's somehow one of the hotter hitters on the waiver wire right now. I think he might be worth a flyer in 15-teamers and NL-only leagues only because uh, he has sh- he plays shortstop. 
and the Giants are going to play him uh, until, you know, they can't, essentially. Um, so that's maybe the reason why I pick him up, just because shortstop is sometimes a position of need. But it really would be tough for me to rely on a guy who's only played two seasons of professional ball. But hey, we've seen weirder stories in fantasy baseball, and maybe this does work out. Yeah, so I also didn't have much of a clue who Casey Schmidt was. I looked into him a little bit when he got the call up, and I saw exactly what you noted here, that he was just kind of a decent player in the minors and yeah. didn't have much experience. But he's got third base eligibility, which is a position that already mm. struggles a little bit. He's going to yeah. get shortstop eligibility because he could play there too, and they're going to play him there. So you're looking at a guy with short and third base eligibility in the middle of a lineup that's pretty decent at best now that Hanniger's returned and Conforto's playing well and everyone's kind of clicking Lamont Wade Jr.'s playing really well. So the lineup's okay. They're not the best lineup, but they're producing runs. And he's off to a blazing hot start. And I'm a firm believer in grab the hot bat and ride it while you can because you gotta. In order to win fantasy, it's all about the ebbs and flows of the season. It's a long season. You're going to have to filter out guys that are hot and then filter out those guys who, when they go cold, you pick up another hot bat to pick them up. And it's a lot of moving parts. But Casey Schmidt looks really good right now. And if he looks this good, jump on him right now. He's going to cool off. He's not going to have a 2,000 OPS for the whole season. Yeah. But while he's doing this well, grab him and use him because it's worth it. He's clearly producing right now and going four for four against the Diamondbacks. Looks pretty good. His upcoming matchups, I believe, are Ryan Nelson of the Diamondbacks, then Zach Gallen, which is obviously a tough one, and then he gets Brandon Fott, who looks like the most hittable pitcher on the planet. So maybe he has two good games in Arizona as well and just keeps producing. So grab him while you can because he looks really hot. Joey Gallo is just looking like Joey Gallo, really not much to note of that. He's at least looking like a former version of himself, which is good because that's all you kind of want out of him. Homers and walks and strikeouts. <laughs> and Josh Lowe, the only frustrating thing with him is that he's on the Rays. I just despise mm -hmm. this team because <laughs> besides Wander Franco, maybe Yandy Diaz and Randy Rosarena, everyone yeah. else can just be benched at any point in time and oh, any completely. given day. Yeah. It's yeah. There's so, a reason he's batting eighth. <laughs> yeah, it's so frustrating. He's only played in seven of the last ten games. So he sat three games because he was against the lefty. And I just don't understand what's going on with Josh Lowe. I don't know why they're not playing him all the time. Like, you could say his counting stats are the way they are is because he's being platooned. Mm -hmm. But also just let him go. What the heck? <laughs> like, yeah. what is it going to do? I don't know. The Rays are so analytically sound. I mean, Rasmussen pitched a gem today, which you're going to get into in a minute. And he only had 76 pitches. I mean, you could have pitched a complete game, no problem. I don't know. The Rays are crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's that's it's why people were so frustrated with Brendan Lau. Yep, because he was pr probably one of the better hitting second basemen for the past couple of years, and the Rays were like, eh, "It doesn't matter. We're going to platoon him." Yep, like, like come on, guys. it's so frustrating. It really is. I mean, having any Rays, even the bullpen, like Pete Fairbanks for a while, he looked to be like the closer now, but every time it was like, "Oh, Jason Adams, the guy." Oh, just kidding, it's this guy. Oh, just kidding, right. it's Brooks Raley. Oh, just kidding, it's you know, it's just such a headache. Yeah. It, it produces wins, though. So I it guess does. No, you can't knock them from an MLB perspective. They are winning. Right. They're the best team in baseball right now. They have a low payroll, and they're getting the most out of these amazing players. But for fantasy, it's the most infuriating thing you could ever imagine. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And then one note about Casey Schmidt, just because we're all very interested in him. Um, I was just reading this article from the San Francisco Chronicle, and Gabe Kapler was basically saying, Brandon Crawford's going to come back in, a, in like a couple days, but they aren't immediately going to send Schmidt back down. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, so they're going to play him at third. Obviously, J.D. Davis is over there at third right now. They could play him at second, where Tyro Estrada is. Um, but, you know, they might do some kind of rest thing where he ends up more like a super utility role for this season. Um, but I that, I think that's only a good thing for for him, right? It gets him more eligibility, positional eligibility for fantasy baseball. But it clearly the Giants want to keep his bat in the lineup in, in some way. Yeah, um, if he keeps hitting like this, he he's going yeah. to earn a spot in the lineup somehow. If yep. you, you can't deny someone who's doing these kind of numbers at the plate. So yep. as long as he's hitting, he'll play. But it's all about the playing time. If he's consistently getting time and he's producing like this, he's a must-add player. Right, if he's playing like three out of four games, right? That's yep. yeah. He's he's worth a spot in an NLE league. He's worth a spot in fifteen teamer. Yep, and he might slowly creep up to being worth uh, having in a twelve teamer as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, moving on to pitchers, as you mentioned, Drew Rasmussen of the Rays went up against the Yankees tonight. Seven innings, two hits, zero earned runs, seven strikeouts, in seventy six pitches. <laughs> um, yeah, I wish he'd gone two more innings, but uh, I guess beggars can't be choosers when you're a Rays pitcher. Uh, Rasmussen, he's been kind of inconsistent this season. He's got a couple games where he's given up five runs, but then mixed between those games um, are uh, opportunities where he's pitched, you know, five, six shutout innings. Um, he struggled with his efficiency, too. Like, despite being a Ray, he hasn't gotten to six innings in games since his second start. But he has gone to like 90 pitches. Um, yep. So it's not like even like the Rays are pulling him early. Uh, he's just been a little inefficient with the pitches and um, he's just not able to get to six innings. Um, in this game, though, you know, it was what the Rays wanted. He managed seven shutout innings. He only tossed 76 pitches. And like we mentioned, in classic Rays fashion, they didn't let him finish out the game. I'm still okay with this stat line, though. Um, I think he showed that he's still, that he's a pretty dominant pitcher. Yankees aren't really that good, but they did still have Aaron Judge in this game. So, yep. you know, they weren't completely like, you know, a, a quad A team essentially. Um, and so, yeah, good for Rasmussen to show up um, in a start and, and get that quality start um, and the win. And then Alex Cobb of the Giants uh, went up against Arizona today. 7.1 innings, 7 hits, 0 in runs, 2 walks, 3 strikeouts. Basically just another classic Alex Cobb start where you don't love the whip. Um the splitter was basically getting whips. The sinker was getting called strikes. Um, but at the same time, he only finished with three strikeouts. So, you know, just Alex Cobb being Alex Cobb, just great outing, but not really great counting stats. Uh, the little wrinkle here was the increased usage on the curveball as it earned 12 called strikes alone for a total of 50% CSW. Uh, Cobb already uses the curve pretty effectively to get called strikes, but he doubled the usage tonight. So that was something interesting to see. The slider that we were really excited about at the beginning of the season basically disappeared. He only threw it once the entire game. He gets the Phillies next. If I roster him, I might be avoiding that one. Um, he's just such a cherry bomb. Like he'll have this outing against Arizona, who is a you know decent offense. Um, but then he'll go up against a guy like the Phillies and just give up five runs because it's Alex Cobb. <laughs> yeah, Rasmussen was awesome in this one. The PLV darling. I mean, a two-hit shutout against the Yankees, and like you said, Aaron Judge was in the lineup. I believe he struck him out twice, which is infuriating for me, having two shares of Judge. But, yeah, Rasmussen looked really good, and 
it's always infuriating when you see a pitcher leave with 76 pitches and a two-hitter going. I mean, mm-hmm. he's rolling. Let him go. But the Rays just make good decisions all the time, and yeah, they're winning for a reason, so I get it. I mean, on the other side of the token, Domingo Herman had 5.2 innings pitch and 87 pitches, and the worst thing ever is he walked, I believe, Taylor Walls, and then they pulled him because a lefty was coming up, even though we only had 87 pitches, and this lefty mm-hmm. was 0 for 2. I think it was Luke Rayleigh, 0 for 2 with a strikeout already. And they pull Herman, and I was like, oh, okay, I guess they're bringing in a lefty to face this guy. No, mm-hmm. they bring in Ron Marinaccio, and he gives up a hit, a hit by pitch, and then a bases clearing double, which breaks uh, the game yeah. open and gives Herman a run. Like, what are you doing? Like, don't try to be the Rays. Just let Herman get out of it. Right. Yeah. Like, the Rays, they, they have so much numbers behind the scenes they know their pitchers so yep. well that like yeah they know that they could take those those risks but it, it is kind of that fun like gamemanship like it's actually one of the things i've really enjoyed about that three pitcher or three hitter minimum for relievers yes. is that there's this little added like strategy to the game that just wasn't there before um and i, I know i'm going going off on a little tangent here but i was at the twins game yesterday and the interesting with the twins right now is that they only have one lefty reliever so they really can't do matchups as much as they want. Right. Um, and the Padres were kind of in the same same boat too. They have they have a lot of righty righty relievers in their bullpen. Um, and so it was kind of interesting to see the game where um, I think Brent Honeywell Jr. was pitching, and Twins brought in Nick Gordon to kind of have that the righty lefty matchup. And then San Diego was like, well, it's a tie game. We're going to take out Brent Honeywell, bring in our one lefty, and just see if it can it can work out. It did work out. Um, and actually, the fun thing was that they had Josh Hader uh, not pitch in the ninth like he, knew, he usually would, but they had to pitch for the tenth because they had a lead. They knew they'd probably have a lead going into the tenth with the whole ghost runner thing. Josh Hader blew the save, yada yada yada. But I reliever reliever strategy is one of those really interesting things to follow. It just does nothing for fantasy baseball. Yeah, it's so hard trying to pencil all of that in and. It makes sense when it all comes down to it with all of these sabermetrics and analytics and everything they're doing is smart. And there's a bunch of higher up people in charge of it, but it is just absolutely infuriating for fantasy purposes. That's yeah, for sure. We are simple folk. We just want to know if you got a save or a hold. Yeah, we just want you to go six innings with three runs or less and we can shut our mouths. Like, <laughs> that's all we want. We're simple people. <laughs> but... Let's move on to streamers for this upcoming week. John, what names do we have this time? Well, we've got two nationals, which is never a good thing, but I actually kind of like these. Uh, We've got Josiah Gray going up against Miami on Tuesday. He's not really a streamer. He's 46% rostered in Yahoo, 70% rostered on ESPN. But if you are in a Yahoo league, he's available in over half of them. So Gray might still be available. He's actually been pretty decent as of late. He's only had one game where he's given up more than three runs this season. The ratios are pretty decent, too. Um, you know, Gray has had that starter, has that prospect pedigree, but he's never really achieved it. Uh, I wouldn't say he's achieved it this season either, but he is pitching pretty well. Um, the, the main knock against him is just the lack of strikeouts, but he should be able to go six against the Marlins here. His teammate, Jake Irvin, goes up against Detroit on Friday. He's 3% roster Yahoo, 1% roster on ESPN. It's usually, like I said, never a good sign to recommend two different Nationals pitchers for streamers. Again, stream at your own risk. 
but they do have some great matchups this upcoming week. This pick is purely based on recency bias as Irvin tossed 6.1 shutout innings on Monday against the Giants. The only thing that really works for him is getting called strikes on the curveball. That's never a great guarantee. Um, still, it's a good matchup. Might work out here. Um, probably maybe the the bottom option of the three uh, I have here. And then Logan Allen of the Guardians goes against the White Sox on Thursday. He is 42% rostered at Yahoo, 16% rostered at ESPN. Managers might have been a little scared of Allen after a not great start against the Twins. It was still pretty decent. I think it was like 5.2 innings with two earned runs, so not anything horrible. Um, but depending on how he does on Friday's games against the Angels, this roster ship might change even more. Allen's stuff is legit enough to compete in the majors, even if he's not a light out, lights out ace like some of his peers. He still has the potential to provide five to six solid innings. You know, I think his comp at the end of the day is someone like a Marcus Stroman or, you know, a Chris Bassett, a guy that you can rely on. I'm not saying he's there yet, but that, that could be what he profiles to be. The White Sox aren't exactly a great team right now, and this is a really good opportunity for the rookie to demonstrate that he still belongs in the show. Yeah, I like these picks a lot. Josiah Gray is someone that I think should just be rostered at this point. He's been yeah. kind of up and down. Mm-hmm. His whip is very high at the moment. I believe it's 1.34 or 1.43. I might have that spinned around. But besides that, he's been pitching really well and keeping the runs to a minimum, striking some guys out. So I think Josiah Gray is just a guy you should probably pick up and use. This is a great matchup, so I definitely like this as a streaming option. I think he's my number one easily. Then Logan Allen, I would put at two because I think Logan Allen is a very good pitching prospect. I believe we ranked him in the middle of the pack when it came to all the other options that we had. And... I think just the Guardians are good at developing pitchers, and Logan Allen is just another one of those guys that's developing well and pitching well. So I think against the White Sox, who have kind of cooled off, they're so strange. They'll go on these ridiculous hot streaks, and then they'll just do nothing for the longest period of time. They're also missing Eloy Jimenez, so the lineup doesn't look too scary. They just got Tim Anderson back, but he's been kind of struggling, so... I think Logan Allen against the White Sox is a good bet. And then Jake Irvin is one of those guys that's truly a streamer. The other guys you can probably have rostered and use them for other matchups as well. But Jake Irvin is a guy that you're specifically picking up to use against the Tigers because the Tigers aren't very good. So I like him third best in this scenario. I think all three are good. I would probably, if this was me, I'd probably not stream Jake Irvin just because... I, oh, yeah, totally. I just like to avoid the guys that I'm not never heard of, but the guys that I'm not too sure of what I'm going to get. I know kind of roughly what I'll get out of Josiah Gray and Logan Allen, but Jake Irvin could either be great or horrible. So that's why I rank him third. And then Josiah Gray, I think, is going to be actually really good. I think after this start, if he pitches really well, I think more people will roster him. I think his roster ship will go up, I'll say, about the 60% rostered on Yahoo range if he does mm-hmm. well this start. So... Yeah, I like all these options. I think they are good choices. Are you picking up any of these guys this week to stream? Josiah Gray might be one of those guys I look at. um, Just because, yeah, the matchup's good against Miami. um, And he's he's turned into, like, a pretty reasonable end-of-the-rotation guy. Yeah. Um, So, in a 12-teamer, I think he's definitely worth keeping on a roster. Um, In my home league, which is now a 10-teamer, I would just stream him. Um, but yeah, I think he's definitely have the potential to be, like I said, like maybe a boring Chris Bassett sort of pitcher yeah. where you like, I mean, the whip isn't great, but the RA is fine. He might, he 
he will go six. I think the really the big knock against him is just the wins. Yep. Like if you're in a wins league, you stay away from Josiah Gray. But um Or I mean you you, you don't necessarily stay away. You only play him in good matchups. Basically. Right, right. Yeah. That's yeah. probably what I think there. Logan Allen's the interesting one where it's like he could develop to be a really solid guy, but just never like an ace. So he'll probably shuttle on and off your roster depending on what your needs are. Yeah, I was actually looking to pick up Josiah Gray to use this week following your advice, and he was actually already rostered, so I was kind of upset about Ooh. that. I wanted to drop Lance Lynn to pick up Yuri Perez in my home league, and like I said, uh, yeah. Yuri Perez was scooped up by my opposing manager this week in a head-to-head league, so kind of upsetting. I streamed Herman, who did fine. He did really well. I was hoping to get the quality start, but like I mentioned before, the 87 pitches thing kind of ruined everything after he got pulled after 5.2, and... I was really hoping to get Josiah Gray, but he's rostered. So I'll have to find another option. I know Logan Allen's rostered too. So maybe Jake Irvin will be my guy. (laughs) Oh boy, that would be tough. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see about that one. But that's all for this episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Before you go, make sure you follow us on Twitter at ThisWeekPL and send us your comments and questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. You can find John on Twitter at TheJohnKuh. That's T-H-E-J-O-H-N-K-E. And you can follow myself on Twitter at Regicidal. That's R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Pitcherless Podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts on. And please leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed the show. It helps us out a lot. And lastly, sign up for Pitcherless Plus. By doing so, you can join us in the Pitcherless Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. But that's all for this week. We will be back next week with another episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. For John, I'm Lee, and we'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. If you travel for work, you know to pack two suits. Business and swim. You know with your Delta Sky Miles Business Amex card, buying that plane ticket for a business trip can get you closer to medallion status. You know that a meeting in Montana means visiting almost every national park. Yellowstone? Check. Because you're the chief excursion officer. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know business. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.